Tov. Today's daf is today's mesechet is Baba Metziah. Today's daf is Baba Metziah. Bet Amaralis. Bet Amaralis. That's a bad sign already. Bet. Okay. Um, Baba Metziah means literally middle gate. Um, uh, because Nazikin is broken up into three sections, 30 prakim. By the way, if I hadn't mentioned this already, there's another Mesechet that has 30 prakim, Kalim and Taharos, which has above and Metziah, above Akam, and above Akam, above Metziah, above Abbasra. So it just means first section, third section, sec- middle section, f- final section. Um, as opposed to Babakam, which was very nicely, uh, thematically, comp- uh, sort of, uh, you know, in- sort of uh, uh, held together, tightly uh, c- connected, um, uh, basically it was all about torts, whether damages or, or robbery or theft um, or personal injury um, but it was clearly had one big major theme about it you know that was torts um, Baba Metzia and Baba Basra Baba Basra is a little more thematically uh, com- uh, sort of unified uh, Baba Metzia is a little bit all over the place um, uh, you know the classic picture of Baba Kama is an ox scoring an ox the classic picture of Baba Metzia I would say is one of two probably it's two people holding onto a talus which is our first Mishnah uh, which is like a great image and gets on a discussion of a, if there's contesting of who owns things how do you sort of try to adjudicate and to determine who owns it if it's being contested and no one person has a clear default ownership about it um, but then it gets on and the, the other thing that a lot of people know because they learned this in uh, you know it's a classic uh, parak that's taught in the grade schools is uh, the second one is about a Mitziot and often people confuse it but Mitziah it sounds like a Mitziah Mitziah in Aramaic means middle but Mitziah with an olive hay means a found object. So there's a piece of that which is about lost objects, but that doesn't stay there. A lot of Baba Metziah is about Shomrim. The third parak is about Shomrim. The eighth parak returns to Shomrim. Right in the middle, we've got two prakim, which are, might be some of the most hardest prakim in Shas, so prepare yourself, which is Ezu Neshech and Hazav, right, which is about basically like ribis and monetary, like sort of the, the money, the nature of money, um, and uh, very hard, you know, just technically difficult uh, issues. Um, and then later on, it returns turns back to Shomrim issues and another very relevant issue for today is workers' rights is a whole section of Baba Metziah. So I would not try to find one big theme that connects all these things together. Um, you know, it is just the middle ten prakim of Nazikin which compa- comprises, you know, civil law. So a lot of these things. A reasonable question still is what is the order of the prakim even if there's a lot of different things let's discuss them in some logical, you know, order and you can try to figure that out. I certainly don't know it, but that's just a little bit of a preview of what we're going to be looking at in Bavantia. It is a classic Yeshivish Mesechet, um, you know, all of the major Rishonim and so on, and as we'll see as we get to it, a lot of very, um, you know, uh, um, uh, almost like Shas topics, you know, things that relate broadly to larger types of questions that come up in the Gemara. So, let's just jump in now. Shnayim um, Ochzim two people are holding on to a talis. Um, a, you you know, they, a cloak. The, not, a talus is not, is, not, is not meant as a religious object, item with a tzitzit hanging out from it. The two people are grabbing onto a cloak. I found it. This one said, I found it. There's again the word mitzia. So maybe you have two things about mitzia and about mitzia. The next paragraph is about finding lost objects and maybe starting here with lost objects. And maybe that's why we're even talking about it. Maybe as a type of a lead-in to the second paragraph, which is about lost objects. But nevertheless, this whole first paragraph has nothing to do 
with lost objects. Zelmer Kulashali, Zelmer Kulashali. This one says it's all mine, this one says it's all mine. Zeyushavashem Lobo Pachs Michetia, the Zeyushavashem Lobo Pachs Michetia, the Yachloko. So how do you, how do you, how do you, uh, what do you do with it? It's sort of like the classic Shlomo Amelech, right? So why don't you say, okay, let's cut it in half? And neighbor says, no, 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 such a wonderful talus, give it to the other person. No, anyway, <laughs> but actually you do cut it in half, it's great, okay? But the question is, right, that's all very nice that you cut it in half and you split it. I mean, not literally, you take out a scissors, you figure out the way, like one person buys half of it off of the other person or you sell it and you split the money, okay? But the point is, they both have equal claims, they're both holding on to it, they're both saying equal things, so there's no way of determining who's more right than the other person. So that leads to the decision of Yachloku. We'll see in the Gemara that sometimes there are other ways of deciding it. Maybe we should just put it all to escrow. Maybe we should let them fight it out. But the most logical thing here is that they're both holding on to it so you split it. The question is, why do you take an oath? And the symbol... Why the oath this way? Well, right, right. Why is the oath... This one says, I have no less than a half. Why is each... Well, you could probably figure out the answer. Why doesn't each one swear that I have all of it? Because then someone's lying. Because then you know you are basically forcing somebody to take a false oath. Why doesn't each one swear that I have half of it? Why do you have to swear I have no less than half? Why do you think? Well, because they're, they're Jonathan, you're there saying it's all yours. I asked you to, if I, what would you say if I asked you to swear that it's ha- half of it is you're yours? With that language, because it's asking you to say something that is undermining your own claim, right? If you want me to ask that I have no less than a half, that I'll say. But to say that I have a half sounds like I have only a half. And you're asking me basically to retract my claim. Okay, so we make an oath that does not per, you know, what's it called? Suburban per, what's the word? Suburban perjury? Is that the word? Suburban? Not suburban, is it? Suborn. Thank you. We got a lawyer. Suborn perjury. We, so we don't suborn false oaths. We don't force somebody to make a false oath. We don't force somebody to swear about something that is, uh, that is uh, you know, not true to their claim. It's a very, art, you know, very uh, well-crafted way of taking the oath. What's the purpose of the oath? Presumably the purpose is that we hope that the oath will get somebody who's lying to admit. Okay? And so if we can't really get to the truth, there's no witnesses, maybe we can try to force the truth out not to a Shlomo HaMelech device but through something that will more work on a regular basis you know get somebody to swear and maybe somebody will admit now that assumes and this is going to be a major question in the Masechet but the general assumption is somebody might be willing to lie and to steal but not willing to take a false oath so maybe I see your cloak I really want it I grab it and I say it's mine and you say it's yours okay and, but the oath will make me say no 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 have to take an oath forget it let him keep it Okay, so I might be willing to seal, but I won't be willing to take a false oath. Like, what? All the way, make everybody swear all the way. In other cases, you know. What do you mean? That it's all mine? Yeah. Because then, because it's not always true. First, it's not always true that people will... will, will no, we're not using it as a deterrent. We're using it as, you might not know the law, but we're using it as a, maybe it's perhaps partly a deterrent, but we're using it as a way that now you come to the court and we say you have to swear. It doesn't stop, wouldn't necessarily stop me from grabbing. I might not know the law. But once we get to the court, it might stop me from going through with it. Now that I... Knows that to swear on the whole thing, that's, uh, that's even more of a lie. 
Yeah, but the likelihood that, I don't know, we don't want to, because it's also, we don't want to deal with the end result that both people swore, that it's both theirs, and we know we've caused somebody to take a false oath. And then everybody questions the judgment of Basin. Both people swore it was theirs. Like, we don't, so that's making the declaration, like, we don't know, you know, like, like, we, like, like, like we don't know what we're doing. And, you know, there's so, so the, the small gain that we gain from that is not worth the cost. Um, so anyway, so that's an important principle, and that's a principle called Chashid Amamona, Somebody that might be suspect of monetary issues, of theft, you know, or whatever, is not suspect of swearing falsely. We think that you might be stealing, but if you're asked to swear, you'll separate. Now, it's not necessarily that's the only explanation. It could be that if in your mind you are willing to do an act of Geneva or Gzela, you'd, you know, if that's the type of person you are, you'll swear falsely. But a lot of times, coming up to Rosh Hashanah, important principle to know in life, People are really expert at rationalizing things, okay, to themselves, right? So a lot of times, you might, if I knew I was stealing it from you, and I was willing to steal, I'd swear falsely about it too. But in my mind, I'm not stealing it from you. In my mind, like, I, I, I you know, I really saw that, ob- I believe I saw that, I convinced myself I saw that object first. So I'm sure I saw Michael was there, but I really saw it before him. Or sure, it's his quote, but he owes me money, it really is mine, and I rationalize. So if I'm rationalizing, I'm, basically I believe myself to be a good honest guy, the shrewd will get me to, to, you know, that'll get me to admit. So clearly the assumption here is that in absence of an opportunity to get other types of evidence, but a desire to get down, more down to the truth, we have to make a shrewd, and we believe a shrewd will help. It'll either help because even for real ganav, he won't swear falsely, or it'll help because it'll stop people's rationalizing. You know, um, and that's why a shrewd will help. So that is the ruling here. You split it after they've made a shrewd. Now, we continue. And then they'll split it. This one says it's all mine, and this one says it's half mine. Um, uh, so, uh, by saying it's half mine, what he's basically doing is he's conceding that half belongs to the other guy. And therefore, they're just contesting the other half. So, in that case, he's going to be not, not as well off. Um, the one who says it's all mine swears he has no less than three quarters because that's what we're going to give him in the end the one who says it's half mine swears he has no less than a quarter because that's what he's going to get in the end this one gets three quarters that one gets a quarter so you got the idea by saying it's half mine he's basically conceding like he's saying we both think it up at the same time it's half mine so he's conceding that half belongs to the other guy so the other guy starts with half to his credit we're, now we're debating the second half so we're debating the second half I say the second half belongs to me he says it belongs to him we're going to split it so if you split the second half one guy winds up with three quarters and one guy winds up with a quarter so you split the part of the garment that they are debating and then the oath that you take reflects what you're going to get at the end and by the way going back to Eli's question you understand that this really makes Basin look good right you swore you, get, you have no less than three quarters you swore you have no less than a quarter we give you three quarters you give a quarter to everybody it's like oh justice was done right that's the oath he took so not only is it like in the other case like we caused a false oath you swore and we awarded you what you swore for right it all looks very nice justice was served okay so that's what happens now Tosfos asks the question and Tosfos so says what are you confused about I mean the guy said uh, so that's what Tosfos says Tosfos says well why don't if I say it's half mine why doesn't like why don't I have like a little bit of a meager I could have said it's all mine and would have gotten half 
if I'm saying it's half mine, so you should believe me that it's half mine, because and maybe I shouldn't even have to take a shrua, but minimally I should be able to get that half with a shrua, right? Whatever happened to the whole idea of amigo? So Tosus discusses that, and uh, Tosus's answer, his, his, I mean, I'll give you one of his answers. One of his answer is is that it's considered amigo lahotzi, that it's not just amigo that lets me hold on to something that's mine, it's amigo that allows me to take something away from you, because here's an important principle that I haven't express, expressively spelled out yet, which is everybody knows, uh, everybody knows, in halacha there's a concept of being muhzak in something, the having a default sense of being the owner, that could be me physically in possession of it, right, so this thing that's under my control, I'm muhzak in it, but it could also mean just like, you know, it's known to be mine, right, everybody knows, you know, what my, that, what my car is, I'm muhzak in my car, now, things that are not real estate, but that are chattel, metaltalin, are things that often because they change hands, the presumption of who's in possession of it, in muhzak in it, is who's now in possession of it, right? Possession is nine-tenths of the law. Okay, but there is an idea that when I try now to take you to court and sue you or you sue me, if I, the one who is in possession, right, the principle is hamotzi mechavero lavaraya. You're trying to take something away from me, you have the burden of proof. Okay, and you know, Rashi says like, be'edim and so on. So, um, that's, um, so therefore, in this case, who's muhzak? Well, they're both physically holding on to it, so they're both equally muhzak. But here, interestingly, their claims also frame what they're muhzak in. So if I say it's all mine, I'm fully muhzak. You say it's all yours, you're fully muhzak. So you have a case where we're both fully muhzak in the same object, okay? And therefore, we're a little stuck, right? But let's say, says Tosfos, I say it's half mine, and you say it's all yours. So I'm muhzak in half of it. You're muhzak in all of it. Everybody getting this? So if I want to basically... You're not really, you're, you're, what? You're not really anything. We're both going fighting to the court. I understand, but well, the... That, that's the whole issue. No, but the muhzak is a combination of... It's basically presumption of ownership, which is largely determined by who's in possession. And the interesting thing is that you could say contested possession, nobody's muhzak, which is what you're saying. But that's not what we're saying. We're saying physical possession which, with a claim makes you muhzak. Okay? So one guy is muhzak in all of it. The other guy is muhzak in half of it. Okay? So, if I'm going to try to t- get a Migo to let me take this full half, I'm using my Migo, right, because I could have said everything and then we would have split it. I only said this, at least give me this. But I'm going to use my Migo to take away your Chazaka, because you're awfully Muchzak in that half. Okay? So anyway, if people didn't get the Migo correctly, don't worry about it. But the key, though, is, is that part of what's going on here is a concept of who is considered to be in possession. And rather than saying contested possession, nobody is in possession, what we really say is you're both in possession, and how much you're in possession is a function of your claim. So if you claim all and I claim all, we're both fully in possession of this object. And that's partly what forces us to split it. Okay? Whereas, you know, again, not to confuse it too much, but let's say Eli there and I were debating, um, you know, uh, the status of, this is another case in a different Gemara, of a boat that's out in the port. And I was saying it's all mine, and he was saying it's all his. According to one Gemara, the answer is, you know how, what, what we say there? Fight it out. Okay, which is so crazy. It's like anarchy. But nevertheless, why? Okay, why? Because neither of us are muhzak. If there's no muhzakut, it's like, 
Nobody has any claim. You know, come to us when somebody has some so, so, some rights to it, rather than just your words. You know, so so it is important to understand that a prince, part of what generates the decision that we've got to split it is because both people have claims; they're both in possession, and we can, and therefore we have to resolve this, and therefore we split it. Okay, but it really needs to be so much physically holding on to, does it? Um, well, that's the Gemara will discuss. But no, presumably, even if you're just holding on to an edge of it, you're seen as holding on to all of it. Okay, so now the Gemara continues. Uh, the mission continues. Okay. Um, two people were riding on an animal. Or one was riding and one was leading it. One says it's all mine, the other says it's all mine. Again, not clear. Are they saying they always owned it and the other guy is Tamaganev? Are they saying they found it and it was a Metziah? We'll see in the Gemara different scenarios. Anyway, same halacha. They swear they don't have less than half and they split it. Um, the Chiddush here though is, and this is going to be a yeah, question, what sense, well, right, what degree of physical possession is necessary to generate the sense of being muhsak? Okay, so physically holding into a garment is one thing. Sitting on an animal, leading on an, leading an animal, is it related to how you would do a Kenyan on the animal? Is that what it's about? Is it about physically holding on? That is not explored, but clearly that's part of the point of this net. I mean, it's explored by example, not by principle. The point of the second example is to say that in this case as well they're both considered holding on to it. Um, if they both agree that they found it at the same time or there are witnesses that say who found it first or that witnesses that say excuse me that they both own it then you divide it without a shul which is like uh, duh right if it's all conceded or there are witnesses what's the question so we'll see about that in the Gemara okay but two big chidushim one is that you split it as I said there are cases where you don't split it there are cases where you basically say we're going to leave it in escrow we'll see a case like that in the Gemara or we're going to say you fight it out, but here the prime reason that you split it is because they're both in possession of it, they're both mosak, and the need for a shrua, the shrua number one, crafted in a way that does not lead to a lie, and that does not also undermine your own claim, also in a way that when we, in the end, that is exactly tailored to the end ruling, so that when we give the ruling in the end, it seems to everybody that it was a fair and just ruling, right, everybody can appreciate the power of that, you swore, you swore, we divided exactly according to that, okay, but the need for a shrua is because circumstances where even if you're willing to steal you're not willing to take a false oath or it's certainly circumstances where you're going to rationalize to yourself you will stop rationalizing if you have to swear to it yes Eli it's, it's like aesthetically nice they both get half but like the person who really owned it I mean I don't think that person yeah but you can never you know you can never do full justice right I mean we have to do the earthly justice not divine justice what, what else can we do right and we're going to put the, hook them up to a mind reading machine I mean you know I don't know it's a interesting question if they had if they had uh, what do you call them devices at the time of Chazal lie detectors I don't know what they would have said but yes the animal is being split by slaughtering it in hell. No, 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 no. That's not right. Oh, ha- so that's what we said. That's not being explored. It doesn't literally mean you chop it in half like a Solomonic uh, type of a decision, right? You figure out between the two of them. Like, is one of you willing to sell it to the other? If they both say no, right, then, uh, you know, then we, I mean, then we would probably sell it and split the money, right? But that's not being, yeah, worked out yet. Yeah. It's still being, I still think that it takes more time to, you know, get on an animal. All right, so we'll see about that when we get into Gemara, why that's considered equal. Okay, Oh, by the way, before you continue on, I just to say that Tosvos says, "What is the why? Why is this perek here? Like, 
what's the conti- conti- continuation with the previous Masechet? Now again, what you know, what you could suggest, what I put out there is, is that it's a lead into the second parak, and we really want to talk about Mitzia, finding lost objects. Again, not to be confused with the word Mitzia and Baba Mitzia, but finding lost objects, which is the focus of the second parak. So we start here about people arguing about who found the object, um, and it's a way of exploring that. But ultimately, it's also a lead into the second parak. Uh, Tosos says that it's also a nice continuation of the last parak in Baba Kama, because the last parak in Baba Kama was. I am working for you. I'm a carpenter. There are some shavings, wood shavings, and sawdust and chips of wood. Who gets to keep the chips of wood? Who gets to keep the shavings? So that's not a question of contesting ownership, but it is a question of dividing things between two people. So not exactly the same, but Tosa says maybe that's some degree about how we got to this, you know, what the logical transition is to this parak. Okay, so let's see the Gemara. Why do you have to say two cases? I found it. It's scenario number one, and scenario number two is it's all mine. What is what is the second case, or what's being added by the second case? Just say one case. I found it. I found it. So the first answer of the Gemara is Chalaktani. It is all one case. That's what he's saying. I found it, and therefore it's all mine. Okay. The least need for this Gemara says fine. Even if you say it's one case, we can still ask why you had to have them say both things. The least need. Why not teach? Do you have a Gemara? Do you want a Gemara? You okay there? All right. Okay. Listen, why don't you say um, uh, just have them say, I found it, I found it. Why do you have to put in their mouth them saying it's all mine? The claim I found it is a claim that it's all mine. No. Had you just said I found it, and that was what they were saying, saying, because if you say, hey, I found it first, in I've got anybody in this table, I found it first, does not mean I picked it up first. It means I saw it first, okay? So therefore, if they just said, I found it first, I found it first, and you said you split it, you would think that by finding the Metziah, spotting the Metziah, you're entitled to it, okay? And it would, miss, it would give you a misunderstanding of what entitles you to a Metziah. This guy said, I found it, I found it, they split it, right? If that would be the ruling, you would think that just spotting the Metziah entitles you to it. So therefore, we added the phrase, it's all mine, to indicate it wasn't enough to just spot it. You had to do something to make it yours. You had to pick it up. Mm-hmm. Okay, one minute. Let's get through this. Okay, Rani says, I would have thought, So therefore, Tanakula Shali, it says, Kula Shali, to Lokani, to tell you, don't think just spotting it makes it yours. You had to do something to make it yours. You had to pick it up. So Mary says, I never would have thought that I spotted it meant that, that I found it meant that I just saw it. Okay, Vama Ravana, Ravana said in Baba Kama just recently, or Ravina should be, Umitsata. It says, if you find an object, it means that it came into your hand. The point of that thrusher was, in that whole Gemara about obligations to non-Jews and whatever, that you don't have to return a lost object to a non-Jew, unless it's a Kiddush Hashem issue, according to that Gemara. So the point was, Mar says, well, maybe that's only before you picked it up. Or maybe once you picked it up, you do have to give it back to him. And Mar says, no. Because it says, Asher tovadni menu umitzata, that your brother loses an object, and you find it. And so it's in the context of your brother, your fellow Jew losing an object object, and you find it, says Ravina, means you picked it up. Okay? And even after you picked it up, you don't have to return it. 
So in that context, it says, you see mitzatah means you picked it up, not just you saw it. So I already know that the word mitzvah, to, to, to find a lost object means to pick it up. Um, so much says, in, yes, mashma. Sure, in the Pasuk, the Drasha, we never had a question that it meant that you actually came in possession. Our Tana is talking about how people talk. And when people talk locally, I found it means I spotted it first. This comes up every single day in New York City about parking spots. Well, you're going to say? Taxis. No, that would be another good example. Right? I saw the spot, but you pulled up to it before me, okay? So go try to argue that it's really my spot because I saw it first. One minute. And when somebody sees something, they say, I found it. And even if they didn't take possession, they would have thought, people. if it just had said that, and the mission had recognized I found it as a legitimate claim, the impression would have been communicated that seeing it gives you a legitimate claim. Seeing you makes you own. So therefore, it says the extra phase of Kulishi to tell you don't think spotting it is what gives this guy the claim. It's because he adds to I saw it which means I saw it and I picked it up. Okay? So, one more phrase and then Michael I know has a question. So then don't give you the scenario finding. Just say, this guy says it's all mine. This guy says it's all mine. Why are we giving this scenario finding? No. If it just had said, I, it's all mine, it's all mine. Then I wouldn't have told me this point that you were, were telling me. It wouldn't have told me what, the, what does it mean to find an object? When are you entitled to an object? Right? And then it wouldn't have been talking about a lost object at all. You know, Eli would have been saying it's his. He, you know, he bought it in the store and I say I bought it in the store. We would have been talking about that case. So it would have been okay for this mission's purposes, but it wouldn't have told me this important point that we've just made, that we've just made which is spotting an object doesn't entitle you to it. So we wanted to talk about the Mitzia case and we wanted to point out that you're only entitled to the Mitzia not just by spotting it, but by picking it up. Okay? So, Tana, Ani Mitzia, so therefore it says, Ani Mitzia, Vaharder Tani, Kula Shali, Demi Mishni Yitera, from the extra phrase, that's Miyuna and Demi Iyalokani, that's not enough to spot it. So it's actually one scenario, I found it, it's all mine, you say you found it, it's all yours, it's all the same scenario, but the reason we have both of the languages is to make it clear that I found it does not just mean I spotted it. It means I found it and I picked it up and it's all mine. Michael, you've been waiting. Yeah, so like, let's say, you know, so I'm, I, I go and I invest in a metal detector and I find like, this, you know, a ping on right. the beach, right? And then, you know, there's this buried treasure, I right. tobacco and I start, you know, excavating. Right. But I don't actually touch, you know, I don't actually pick it up. Right. So you go, you've done nothing, you go pick up the treasure chest, it's yours. So, according to this, the answer would be yes. Uh, and it would be sort of like a type of a, you know, uh, like a Grama Benazikin. It's not a Grama Benazikin, but actually there's a Gemara about Aniham Hapech Becharara, Ubarachavanatalo. Exactly that case. You know, and uh, which Gemara actually has a very heavy moral censure about that, but technically it's Zirkona. Okay, so the, base, the short answer is yes. Now, Tosus does quote a Gemara that says, Habata Behefter Kani. Okay, Habata. Habata, which is, sounds like Re'iya, but Habata means like peering. And the Rishonim do have a discussion of does that really mean that, like, now, so they say, there's two answers. One is it doesn't mean habata, it means chavata. It means, like, banging on it, some type of an act of a kinyan, okay? But others say that it might mean a certain type of a not just 
I spotted it, but a certain type of like guarding it, watching it, something of that nature. So it is possible, in some, according to some Rishonim, that that might work, that you might technically be Kona, but more likely, I'd be Kona, I'd be a real like a scoundrel, but I'd be Kona, okay? So, um... You uh, take a claim, like that idea, you know, the prospecting or something, like they claim that's the area you and then somebody well you could buy rights to the area but like you mean oh I found this fishing spot you have to get out of it I found this good spot to prospect for gold in in Hefker land well you know then they go back to the to the uh to the government authority to place their claim. Oh, then they have rights, and they bought rights to that space. Yeah. Okay. So, um, but before they've gone to the government authority, you found a spot, and I heard you talking to your friend, right, about, you know, about, oh, this great spot, and I follow you, and then I start prospecting. Okay. So, all right. So, you might say like this. Um, moving on. All right, the Gemara says like this. The Ha'azev Zektani. All right, but the Gemara says, I don't buy it. I don't buy the mission of all one case. Because the mission is phrased as two separate cases. And then it says, It doesn't sound like you're clarifying the first case. It sounds like you're giving a second case. If you wanted to say one case with both phrases, you would have said, By saying, It sounds like there are two cases here. So we have to come up with another answer. So Amar of Papa Vitamer of Shini Bar Ashi Vamile Kadi, some say Kadi, which basically means no one, okay, which means like or said anonymously. Okay. It is two cases. The first case is we're fighting over who found the object, meaning who picked it up first. And the second case is who bought the object. Now by the way, you realize that it could have been a question of not just who bought the object, but like like who owned it. Like then what are you talking about? You know? I bought this ten you know, I mean <coughs> You know, like I, I inherited this from my father, right? So, you know, so there's that. So, we'll, so I'll talk about that case in a minute. But let's deal with the Gemara scenario. What do you mean okay. Right. I mean, everything we said is true, the halacha, but it's not what the mission is talking about. Okay. So we're talking about two cases. One is who found it, and the other is who bought it. Mitzricha. You need both cases. And now let's we we we, we pretty much already understand what the mitzia case is. Let's understand what the mekachomemker case is. The Iyitana mitzia had it just been a debate and now on the Amud Bet about who found the now this the Gemara right now is doing a classic thing the Gemara does although often it's a more uh, it's more technical here it gets to the meat right away often at the beginning of a Masechet the Gemara focuses on some like side issue of some language issue but in the course of dealing with some like language issue it brings in some of the themes here it really does get right away to the meat of it um, but, because it's not just a language issue it's like what are the two cases in the Mishnah but what it's doing right at the beginning is introducing some of the major themes and it's going to say that why you might need uh, to tell me both the case of a lost object and the case of um, of fighting over who bought it is because there might be a reason in one case that you think a shvur would be effective rather than another and by immediately pointing out why you need why there might be a better reason in one than the other we're immediately getting to the root of what is the function of the shvur and how does it work you understand right because if by saying oh it makes more sense here than here that forces us to say why does it make sense what is it about and the Gemara right away says and the key word here is Mori the Amar 
Okay, Mori of Amar means, you know, you're Mori Heter. Mori is Hora'ah, right? You give a Psak. But when you're Mori Heter, you're Mori Heter La'atzmo. You basically give yourself a Psak. Okay, we're doing this all the time. That's what rationalizing is. Yeah, it's totally fine for me to take some of the, you know, the pens from the supply cabinet. I work here anyway, right? You know, so everybody is like, that's the biggest problem, that we're, how we're Mori Heter to ourselves. Okay, so that's why you go to somebody else to get a Psak, and you know, Paskin for yourself. So here the Gemara is saying that that's the fun of the Shvua to stop you from rationalizing. Alright? And there's a, there could be a different argument why you'd be more likely to rationalize even if it's not yours but you're claiming it's yours in the case of Metziah and another argument to say why there's more reason to rationalize in the case of buying an object. Yes, Elio, you had a question? Uh, okay. So let's, so let's see what the answers are. Yes? That could be a good connection to the previous the end of the, the previous right? Because that was all about are you going to rationalize it? Oh, about like keeping the little, the little pieces of the wood or whatever. Oh, that's interesting. Nice. Okay, the Eden of Metziah, had we just had the case of a lost object, how I mean, I would have thought, Metziah who did run Rabban and Shwale, the Metziah is where the Pabrites put a Shrua, they thought it was necessary and would be effective, Mishum de Mori Amar, because you rationalize and you say, Chaverai lav mini chaserba. Oh, yes, it's true, Eli saw it first, but you know what? A minute ago he didn't have it. It was just his stam good luck. He's not really losing out on anything that a minute ago he, you know, he wanted or he was looking for before. And you know, I'm a better person than him. I should be. I should get it. Why should he get it? Okay. I know it fits. I'll just grab it. Probably by day, I'll take half of it and I'll get it. Okay. Because he's not really losing out on anything he had before. He didn't even want it. It was just stam. It came his way. So I've rationalized to myself why that's okay. But let's say we're both arguing over who bought this mule. We both went to the market, we both needed a mule, and he's saying he bought it, and I'm saying I bought it. Now, the Gemara is going to say that, uh, that it's, we both gave the merchant money, and the merchant doesn't remember who bought it first, and whatever, we were just throwing money at him. So whoever's going to lose the case is going to get his money back. Okay? So I'm not stealing any money from Eli if I say it's my mule and he bought it, because then the merchant will just give him his money back, rather than give me my money back. But nevertheless, well, uh, it's going to be... Yeah, we'll get to that. Nevertheless, it's harder for me to rationalize. He went to the market knowing he needed a mule he spotted the mule he bought it you know he clear and I'm going to now grab it from him like what type of a person am I right there was something that he went out to get and I'm taking it away from him yeah, what he invested it. he invested time he clearly wanted it he clearly needed it right so it's harder for me to rationalize why it's not okay for me to just grab it okay so so uh, you can't say that oh, you just can't spy it Amalo maybe a shvur wouldn't work if I'm going to say in that case that it's mine even though it's hard it's less basis to rationalize a shvur won't work why won't a shvur work because if I can't rationalize one or two things are true okay either what's the one or two possibilities if I can't rationalize why it's okay for me to take it knowing it's not mine so if I'm not rationalizing what am I doing stealing stealing or there's another possibility believing I'm telling the truth okay so there's two possible scenarios in a case where I can't rationalize either it's like what do I care that it's his I'm a Ghanav I don't care what's yours is mine and I'm going to steal it okay if that's the type of person I am a shrew won't most likely won't work or that's a question will a shrew work on somebody who knows they're a Ghanav 
Okay, but the other possibility is if I can't rationalize and I'm still claiming it's mine, it must be because I really believe it's mine. If I really believe it's mine, a shrua isn't going to do any good either. So a shrua most works in a case where I'm rationalizing. Okay? So in the case of Mechokomenko where I can't rationalize, in that case, aim a low. Maybe there won't be a shrua. What would be the point of a shrua? The Itana Mechokomenko. But you do. And now we're going to say why they're the flip. So just tell me the case of there's a shrua. No. There's an argument to be made that Mechokumemkar that is more of a basis for rationalizing. Let's hear this. I would say that's the case where shrua works. It's the Mechokumemkar that there's more of a, of, of a rationalizing going on. Why? Here's how you rationalize why I can grab Eli's mule from him. Look, I'm paying for it. I gave the money to the merchant as well. He's going to get his money back. So at the end of the day, is he going to be out any any money? No. So hasta the tzrichalididi, and I need the mule more than him. I know it. He's got plenty of mules. I'm more in need of it. So ashkele ana, I'll take it. He'll get his money back. He'll find another one. He's got more time in his hand anyway. It's totally okay. Okay, so I've rationalized that whole thing. But, how good I have it rationalizing? <laughs> <laughs> I've had a lot of practice. Okay. So, so, exactly. Now, <laughs> but if he found a wallet or he found a, a, a lost mule wandering around, I can't rationalize it because if I take it from him, he's not getting that mule back. He just got a free mule. And if I take it away from him, he's out the value of that lost object. In the case where he bought it, he'll get his money back, he'll buy another one. It's just effort. But here, if I claim a lost object that he found, and I claim it's mine, then I'm really taking away an object from him that he's not going to get back. So maybe it's harder for me to rationalize that case. Okay? So, maybe in that case where I can't rationalize, either I know I'm lying, or I'm totally believe I'm telling the truth. One or the other, a shrua might not work. Sricha, you need to tell me both cases. Okay, so that was a great little piece of Gemara. It was great Musser for Rosh Hashanah about how good we are at rationalizing. But it was also great at getting to the point about how the point of a shrua, the most effective use of the shrua, is when somebody is rationalizing. Because the shrua gets them to like look in the mirror and you know be more honest with themselves. It really is like a Rosh Hashanah Yom Adin type of a thing. Okay? So that's how it's most effective. But if you think you're telling the truth, it won't work. And if you know that you, and if you know you're lying, that's debatable whether it'll work. Okay. But the best effectiveness of it is the rationalizing, and it tells us why there's the shvua in the mission, what the shvua is coming to do. Now the Gemara is going to step back and ask about um, why is this that we don't have any other evidence to bring to bear on these cases? Okay. So let's take a look. Now you're telling me that case number two is one about buying an object from a merchant and not knowing who bought it. So the Gemara says, I told you before that both of them threw money at the merchant, but we don't know that yet. Why not just see who paid for it? Now, the question is, who are we believing who paid for it? Maybe they're arguing who paid for it. So, you know, so Tosa says, well, like, you know, no, like, let's at least ask them. Maybe they'll admit. Maybe I'll say, sure, Eli paid for it, but he agreed to sell it to me. Like, maybe I'm not going to lie, you know, saying, again, robbing the money from you by claiming I paid for it when I didn't. Maybe, whatever. So maybe, maybe they'll admit who paid for it, and then we could just use that. That's one way of understanding it. Another way of understanding it is, maybe we'll believe the merchant who paid for it. The merchant 
will say. And that gets into a whole interesting question of whether the guy who's selling it has, has special believability. I don't know if that's even a word. Anyway, has special weight to his claim more than a normal person. I'm selling it. I'm paying attention. You should believe me. I know who paid for it. Okay. The third thing that Tosa says is even if I, the seller, don't have any special weight to my claim, I'm at least an eight echad. Okay. So here, actually, I'll be, since I was, since I was one of the litigants, I won't be the merchant. Michael will be the merchant. So Michael comes and says, yeah, Eli paid for it. Okay. So he's not to aid him. But what is he? He's an eight echad. So an eight echad, first of all, exempts Eli from having to make a shrua. If an eight echad backs up your claim, right, so he frees Eli from having to make a shrua. And he makes me have to make a shrua doraisa. This is a rabbinic shrua. But to respond to the claim of an eight echad, you have to take a biblical shrua, which is more weighty. So, Tosa says, you know, even if it wouldn't totally solve the case, it would be a very relevant fact that, so, that the merchant is claiming who, you know, who paid for it. So let's just ask and find out who paid for it, and we'll assume the person who paid for it. Now you realize, halachically, paying for it doesn't make you own it. Right? After you pay for it, you have to actually pick it up. But there's a presumption here that if you paid for it, you're the one the merchant wanted to sell it to. Okay? So the merchant was like this. Getting a receipt? Um, that would be presumably pretty big proof who said, not only who paid for it but who bought it okay so the Gemara says like this um, let's just see who, uh, who he took the money from we need it for the case he took money from both of them not like he's going to steal one he agreed to take the money the others threw him the money we don't know he doesn't know who did it willingly who he forced it they both threw money at me I remember I agreed to sell it to one of them they were fighting I can't remember which one. Okay, that's the case. Okay, so that's fine. So now we have understood that we're talking about a mitziah and about a case of, of, of purchase uh, where, by, uh, where both paid money so we don't have any extra evidence because both paid money. Also, nobody is actually losing out dollars and cents if we award it to one rather than the other, because the other guy will get his money back. And that leads to cases where there's ways to rationalize both the Metziah case and rationalize the Mecca Chumemker case. Now, before we go on, I should say, what about a case where there cannot be an honest mistake or debate about who, like, who said what? I, I believe I saw it, you believe you saw it. Let's say, you know, you basically say, this is the mule that has been in my family for the last 10 years. And you say, this is the mule that's been in my family for the last 10 years. Okay, there's no question that one of us is out of that line. The way Rashi gives the example is if we're fighting about a garment let's say I say I wove this garment and you say no I wove this garment there is no question that one of us is lying right? So in that case what would you say? So first of all Tosa says it seems pretty clear from the Gemara that you would not take a shrua, right? What's the point of taking a shrua if somebody is brazenly lying? Unless you say Okay, that's going to be well, I'll tell you in a minute. But first question there's two questions here. Thank you. Do you take a shrua and what do you do with the object? So the first question is, would a shrua be any good? So that's going to be that question of, does a shrua help for somebody that knows that they're a ganav? That's not rationalizing. That's question number one. Thank you very much. Question number two though is, would you split it. Okay? And there you could say that if we know somebody is lying, we based in are not going to render a judgment that we know cannot be true. Like, that, uh, if splitting it, we know that gets to your question before, whatever, like, maybe, the, or 
bureaucracy, maybe that's not the reality, but maybe it is, and we have to make a choice. But if we know it's impossible that you own half and you own half, you're saying you wove it, you're saying you wove it. It's all, all one or all the others. Are we still going to split it and just say it's essentially like not true justice, but the best we could do? Is that something that a basin could allow themselves to do? Or would a basin have to say in that case, you know, uh, we're just going to hold it in escrow or go fight it out or something other than splitting it? Okay? So, till actually you have all the out till more evidence comes to so light what's my downside okay? of cleaning anything See, I can say you know like, right well that's the thing you could always use that as a way right how people could sort of manipulate the system we'll get to but right now I just want to put out on the table that the, Rashi says when one of us is definitely lying, Rashi says, which is something we're going to see tomorrow. Hold it in escrow until some more evidence comes to light. We cannot participate in that. You know, it's possible, though, you could say, we will split it, we just won't make a shrua. All right, so that's a really interesting question about, you know, based in is supposed to be din, not pshara. But, you know, it's like, we don't know, we'll never know all the facts. We have to do the best with the facts and evidence. Can we give a ruling, which might be the fairest we could do, but certainly not the right and certainly not you know true justice will we allow ourselves to give that type of a ruling okay so anyway so something really to think about let's take a look now as the Gemara continues so Gemara says like this Lema now we're going to focus on a series of other kind of idic statements that speak about dividing objects and um, theme, and the focus is going to be not on the fact that we divide the object again that's sort of we're taking for granted but on whether or not we make a shrua is it really true that everybody agrees you would make a shrua in a case like this so let's take a look let's say our mission is not like ben nanis the ben nanis if it's ben nanis ha'amar ben nanis says Kate said how can we let this one and that one come to a false oath or at least one of them come to a false oath now he doesn't say it about our case, okay, he says it about the following case. I say to Michael, Michael, um, you own a Makolet there um, in Israel, my son's in Israel this year, when he comes, just, just give him everything on credit, tell me how much he, he took and I'll pay you for it, okay, or I tell my, give my workers, you know, feed them, you own a restaurant, maybe we'll make a better case, not my son, feed, you own a restaurant, it's, you know, give them, you, when they come in, just feed them, tell me what the bill is, I'll pay it, okay, so then at the end of the day, Michael says, okay, $100, that's what they spent, my workers came and said, we went to Michael, he refused to feed us, you know, and you promised that you would, uh, you know, you'd give us a lunch, okay, so what do I do, okay, do I give Michael $100, do I give my workers, do I give neither of them, so the first ruling is, Michael swears that he, said, that he, that he gave them the food, and it cost, uh, you know, for $100, they swear they didn't get the food from Michael, and I pay both of them, okay, <laughs> so in that case, the Nana says, one of them is definitely lying, how do we allow a shrua shove to definitely take place, okay, so according to Ben Nanis, maybe we don't let both sides take a shrua. Now the answer is obvious. The difference is obvious, but allows the Gemara to say it explicitly. So the Gemara says, no. Hasam vada shav. They are definitely, one of them is taking this false oath. It's interesting called the shrua shav and not shrua shaker. Anyway, hacha shav. Who says that there's a false oath? Amor to Now maybe a minute ago we didn't think the likelihood they both picked it up at the same time. You know, what's the chances of that? Right? Even if you're just swearing half, 
we assumed one of you is still lying. But now the Gemara is saying, no, there really is a possible scenario that they both own half of it. They both picked it up at the same time, that the merchant agreed to sell it to both of them. He couldn't get into their fight. Fine, both of you take it. I don't care. So since it's a possible scenario, it's possible that actually the Shavuah is not just tailored to be in line with the final judgment, but it actually is tailored in a way that it's possible that each one is taking an honest shua. Unlikely, but possible. And that's why this can work even according to Ben Nanis. Okay, so that's point number one. The shua is not necessarily a shav, which means if it definitely is a shua shav, like the case I said before, I wove it, you say you wove it, right? Maybe we wouldn't take the shua. Alright? Okay, that's not, uh, and that not only because it's a shua shav, also because the shua wouldn't force me to admit, because I'm, I'm knowingly lying. Alright? But in this case, I'm not knowingly lying, and it's possible it's a shua MS, and therefore we can do it. Next case, says the Gemara. Let's say our mission is not like Sumchus. Sumchus, you might remember, we heard about him a lot in Babakama. He said, I basically, I sold my cow to uh, Eli there, and he went to pick it up, and it had been pregnant, and there was a baby calf by it. And Eli says the sale went through before the baby calf was born, and it's my baby calf. And I say the sale went through after the baby calf was born, and it's my baby calf. And so the Chachamim say, like, it's Hamotimei Chavero Lavaraya. Since I was the default owner before, I can consider the owner until Eli can prove that it was his. Sumcha says, No, there's a doubt, there's no way of knowing, we split it. Okay, even though I was the default owner. So the Gemara says like this, Let's say our mission is not like Sumcha. It was like Sumcha. Sumcha says, Whenever there's a doubt, whenever there's a, you know, some type of a serious doubt about who owns the thing, you split it. Below Shvua, adds the Gemara. Sumcha never demands a Shvua. So yes, it's Cholkim, and our mission is Cholkim, but Sumchis never demands a Shua. So let's say our mission is not like Sumchis. So the says, the Elamai. So what do you want to say? Rabbanon? It's the rabbis who argue on Sumchis? Ha'amri, but the Rabbanon say, not only do you not make a Shvua, they say you don't even split it. They say, you know, you need real proof, you need witnesses. So forget Shvua. Why would you split it? According to the rabbis. So the says, no. Ha'amai, what type of question is that? If you say that it's the rabbis, it makes sense. Why? In that case, we're not both equal. We don't have equal claims. This cow was originally mine. I'm the muhzak. I'm the default owner. So in that case, there is a there is a motzi. Eli is coming to take it out of my possession. Okay. Eli, you want to say that calf is yours? You go prove it. I'm the default owner. Okay. So that's why they say. No shvua, no splitting, because there's a default owner. Here, that they both are have claims and they're both holding on. A, they'll say split, and B, they'll say if we're splitting, but we don't have any, you know, but a shvua could be helpful to getting to the bottom of it. We'll be splitting plus a shvua. Okay, so the rabbis make sense. If a guy is muchzak, two people are equally muchzak. Split it with a shvua. The shvua might help out. Okay, but sumchis doesn't make sense. Okay. Ava, um, uh, uh, okay. Uh, where are we? Now I lost my place. But if you say sumchis, 
In the case by the cow and the calf, we're not both holding on. I have more of a presumption of ownership. And nevertheless, we're going to split it without a shvua. So we're really, it's a big chiddish. We're taking it away from my chazaka and splitting it. And we don't even ask for a shvua in that case, even though it's getting taken out of my hands. So here where they both have an equal claim, the idea of splitting is more obvious. And certainly a kosher that you shouldn't need a shvua, right? If Sumcha doesn't need a shvua when Eli is taking it out of my hands, why should he need a shvua when we're both equally claimed to it? Great question. So the Gemara says, no. A few times Sumcha, could still agree to our Mishnah. Ki Arimar Sumcha, Shema Ushema. When does Sumcha say that you don't make a shvua like the calf, when both of us say, I, I don't know for sure when the calf was born. I'm, I just think that I'd like to believe it was born when I owned it. But no, none of us know. Since none of us know, what type of shvur are we supposed to make? I think a shvur that I believe the calf was born while I still owned it, right? Of course, that's crazy. So if, in his case, where they don't know, there's no purpose to a shvur. Of a bari, bari in this case, where each one is making a definite claim, low, low armor. He would not say don't do a shvur. Meaning he would admit here, even though each one has more rights, here, since they're making a definite claim, a shrua can be effective. Right? They can make a shrua to their definite claim and they can back off if they're forced to make a shrua. Alright, so everybody get it? The co- more of a reason if the no, not because of more of a reason to rationalize, but because you can't make a shrua about a shema. Right? I mean, first of all, what would the shrua even be? And number two is, right, because if you're making a bari claim and you have to make a shrua about it, you might drop your bari so, claim. What about a chazaka and a shema versus a bari and a uh, Can we please not go there? Okay, so Anyway, so the Gemara basic point is that why do you make a shvua? Yes, there's an idea that you would never, of Ben Nanis, you would never make a definite shvua shav, but it's not a definite shvua shav here. Number two, there's an idea of some of don't make a shvua, but the Gemara's answer is, but maybe that's only when there's, everybody's a shema, so there's no shvua to be made. Okay? Um, uh, one minute? Uh, fine. Okay, so, right, but if it's a bari, maybe he would agree. But now we have a question, because some people say that Sumchas doesn't require Shvua even in the case of bari. So the Gemara says like this, One minute. Rabbi Baravuna says, Sumchas would say, split without a Shvua, even if you're taking away from a Chazaka, and even if each one is making a bari. I say, I saw when it was giving birth, and I saw it gave birth after. He said, no, I saw it, and I saw it before. We're each making a bari. And Sumchas still says, split without a Shvua. So if Eli can take it out of my chazaka and he can get half without a shrua then why when we're both certainly when we're both holding on to the talis he should get half without a shrua so presumably sumchis would not be our mishnah so the gemara says no a few tame a few tame even if sumchis says bari bari it's not the same as our mishnah he our sumchis when does sumchis say split without a shrua now this word drara de mamona it's a big machlokas we what it means but I'm going to bracket Rashi Rashi says it means heft loss of money almost all the Rishonim means, say it means an objective stake an objective claim now what does that mean? 
you know, you might say that our case of holding the Tos is a Dura Mamona. You have a claim because you're holding it on. Tosus clarifies it a little bit more, which means like, Dura Mamona means it's not that your stake is generated just by what you say to Basin. Even if Basin would come and look at the facts, like just look at the evidence that is known, that is accepted, they would realize there's an objective suffix. They know that I sold you the cow. We know that the calf was born. There's an obvious objective question of when was the calf born. That sort of objective suffix gives more mandates splitting it and splitting it without a shrua. Here, where the whole issue is generated because you're grabbing and making a claim and it's not somehow some question of just objective facts are, 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 are generating a question of what happened, right? So, you know, that's a case where it's all a function of your claim and your actions. So that's where we say, let's make a sure to get to the bottom of it. All right? Is that sort of clear? Like in one case, in one case, like, like you know, the shrua is as a way of getting to uh, of pushing your claim and getting you to be more honest about your claim but if the question arises even without the claim just because of the nature of the facts then then it's less of a reason to make a shrua well yeah it's always a fact who picked it up first or whatever right but the point is this is a fact that's generated because of it's hard to exactly articulate. I understand what you're grappling with. It's like, the fact is, I'm holding on to it. Why am I holding on to it? But, but the fact only somehow means something because of your claim that's backing it. Whereas even if you didn't claim anything to base it, you just say, here's what happened. Here's the stuff we can all agree upon. Like, maybe that's a good way of starting it. What would be the things you could all agree on? We all agreed that Dove sold me his donkey and Dove sold me his cow and that the cow gave birth at some time. And we just don't know when. Okay? So if that's what we can all agree upon, then that's a draw de Mamona. We all agree that what? Merchant put money, we all go to money. Maybe in the merchant's case, I hear that a little bit more, but in the Matia case, what do we both agree on? We don't both agree on anything. All we agree on is that we're both holding on to a talus. Right? There's very little that we actually agree on. Okay? That, oh, you're both holding on to a talus. So what? So like, what, what are the circumstances? What, what are the claims? What are the issues? Okay, so that's basically the way, so it says it all, I do understand Eli's question, like exactly what's considered to be generating the suffix, but you take what's agreed upon, and if there's still an objective question, that's Shroa de Mamona, therefore split it without a Shrua. If the whole thing is sort of generated by the claims, then we want a Shrua to get somebody to admit. Okay, so that's basically the answer. answer. Let's just read one more line. The Mars says like this, That's when you split it without a Shrua. And now the Gemara pushes back. One minute. It's a Kavachomer. Why is it to say that you should make should not make a Shrua in this case? Why? Because it's true by the case of the calf. Each one has an objective reason why it could be theirs. But here's the real point. The In the case of the calf, it's either all your calf or all my calf. And in that case, and we split it. So this is really a little less about the shrua and more about the splitting. In Sumchus's case, we're going to split it, even though we know the calf is not half owned by each of us. We know the calf is all mine or all yours. We're going to be willing to split it, which is a judgment that is really not kafi ha'emet. It's a type of a pshara, and we're going to be willing to do it without trying to use a shrua to help us get more to the bottom of it. So we're going to do a psak, which we know is false, 
without a shvua. So he says, if in Sumchus' case you're willing to split it, even though it's clearly not owned by both of them, and you're going to do that even without a shvua, so in that case, hacha delekedra de mamona. Here, there's not a objective suffix, which really means, I mean, the draw de mamona here is like a, at this point, a red herring. The real point is, the equilimitrikravayuhu here, where it genuinely could be both of theirs, so your psak of splitting it is a more legitimate psak. So if it's a more legitimate psak, there should be less of a need to make a shvua. Well, again, you certainly shouldn't make a shvua. Okay? So therefore, so what the Gemara is saying is, if you're willing to not, to not ask for a, for a shvua, when your psak is clearly not kefiha emes, you should also not be asking for a shvua when your psak might be kefiha emes. Now, I don't know that's such a big question, because bottom line here, the problem is still generated by your claims, and a shvua can help us get to the bottom of those claims, and if those claims are true. But that's the Gemara's question. We don't understand why if someone doesn't require a shur there, he should require a shur here. Here, the psak of Yachlok was a better psak. So I'm not going to give you the answer. We're going to come tomorrow to the answer about why Sumchus might still agree that you make a shvur here and not over there. So to be continued tomorrow.